Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. He could hear the dirt crumbling beneath the wheels of his horse-drawn carriage. Uh, He was seated in in a back portion that was covered where he couldn't see out. And he looked down at the shackles around his wrists. And, and he would try to, to move them as they were agitating him with seemingly every bump, but it seemed to be not worthwhile because every single bump just, just agitated them all over again. One of the other men looked up at him. Hey, you don't, you don't look like the other slaves. What's your story? He winced at the question. He could, he could still hear the mocking Oh, oh, here comes this dreamer boy again. He could still see the hatred in his brother's eyes. And, and he thought back, and, and you know, he, he had these strange dreams, and, and it, it wasn't like he was trying to lord these dreams over his brothers. It, it wasn't like he thought he was better than anybody else. He, he just had a strange experience and was going to his family. I mean, any of us would do the same, right? We can, we can relate in that sense that, that if something strange began to happen in our lives, it's our families who we go to. And so he, he, he did just that, and, and his family just turned to hatred instead. And so uh, trying, trying to build this uh, this bridge between he and his family, trying to build this relationship. He, he one day went out to the field where his brothers were working, and as soon as he got there, he immediately knew that he had made a mistake because the hatred in their eyes. He had never seen a hatred quite like this in his life. And before he knew what had happened to him, he felt one of them grasp around his arm. He felt the fingers dig into his flesh, and they threw him into a pit. And now what? Now what? And so his brothers were going to murder him. They were going to kill him. But the oldest stepped up and they said, no, 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 no. We can't can't kill our brother. Not our brother. Let's let's find something else to do with him. And so they, they literally, they got their lunches out and they sat around this pit and they discussed, what are we going to do with our brother? He's clearly a problem in our family. And at that moment, a caravan began to drive by. This same caravan from which he told this story. And his brother saw it, and it dawned on them. Why why murder our brother for free when we can make some quick money off him? Why, why, Why just murder him and get rid of him when we can both get rid of him, but also profit a little off of it? So that's what they decided. And they sold him into slavery. And here is where he sits now with shackles around his wrists and shackles around his ankles. And as he's riding, suddenly the caravan comes to a stop. Where are we? Another answer is, I I heard we were going to Egypt. And he started to hear some commotion from the outside of of the the covered portion of their wagon that they were in. And uh, and it seemed to be a man, they didn't recognize the voice, but it seemed to be a man of significance, a a man who spoke as if uh, he should be listened to. And he demanded to see their goods inside the wagon because I'm Potiphar. And suddenly the back portion of the tarp was thrown open and they looked at each other for the first time. What's your name? I'm, I'm Joseph. Come on, Joseph. You belong to me now. 
And so from, from a time where God was whispering into the dreams of a young man the tremendous things he would do with his life, the, the big plans that he had for him, the, the significance that he would bring to this life, to his brothers attempting to murder him, to being sold into slavery, this is where Joseph now finds himself. And so over the course of the next three weeks, we're, we're going to, if you want to follow along, we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to go through and look at the story of Joseph, starting today with Joseph and Potiphar, and we'll look at Joseph in the prison and Joseph in, uh, <clears throat> Joseph in the palace. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter uh, 39, verse 1. We'll see if uh, I'm going to do this for once. I promise I bring these. I always bring it just in case. So Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so I want to focus on that phrase there. The Lord was with Joseph. This is, this is a really big deal here, okay? Uh, this is a big deal here for us in our lives even. Uh, and, and this is especially for Joseph to, to be able to recognize this, that God was still with him, that God was still there in the midst of everything that was going on. God was still there. He hadn't left him yet. And this never changes as the story develops, as, as things move on. And as we get to a point that it seems even that Joseph's life appears to crumble apart even more possibly than it has leading up to this, God was still with him. And this is, I mean, you have to imagine through Joseph's mind, uh, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, God initially, the way that he showed his presence was different than what we know now uh, via the New Testament. And so God dwelt among his people. And so what he did is, is he called a man by the name of Jacob. And he ended up changing this man's name to Israel. And so when we hear the phrase, the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel, it's all pointing back to this one man that God said, from you, I will build my people. And, and all of your generations will be my people. Well, if, if you didn't know already, Joseph in our story, he, he had a father. Uh, and his father's name was Jacob, or at one point his father's name was Israel. And so it was in this family that God began to, to bring his presence and dwell with his people. But now look at where is Joseph? He's not with his family. He's, he's hundreds of miles away. So to know that God was still there with him. But this goes even further beyond this. This is, this is beyond just God being in his location, God being a, an omnipresent God. But this is saying that God is, he is for Joseph. He is with Joseph. Uh, the, the, the trajectory of Joseph's life, God approves of. And this is, this is tremendous for us to, to keep this uh, on our minds and to keep our lives uh, fashioned in this manner that, that understanding 
God approved of how Joseph was living his life. God approved of the decisions he was making. Even though you look at, I mean, guys, our lives will seem to fall apart at times. And there will be times that, that it's easy to say, you know what, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe, maybe it's my sins that are causing this to fall apart. But I mean, you, you have Jesus in the New Testament when there was a blind man and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, nobody sinned. It was so that, so that God could be glorified through this that this man was born blind. And so uh, the, the trajectory of Joseph's life determined that God was still present with him. And look, look at this psalm here. Uh, there was a man by the name of David who wrote this psalm, and, and he wrote that, uh, he, he talked about the presence of God. He talked about uh, God always being with him. And keep in mind that this is a man that initially in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle, which was a tent where God would dwell. That's where his presence was. And once a year, only once a year, the high priest could go into the presence of God. But David looked at this and he said, no, 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 that's not enough for you to dwell in God. You need a temple. You need something, you're worth so much more. And yet David wrote this in the 139th Psalm, where I will turn, because our screens are having fun. Will you help her find my keynote? It should be on the computer. So in Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 and 8, it says, David writes this, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in hell, you are there. And so, so David's point is, he says, it doesn't matter if I try to run. It doesn't matter if I try to get away from you. It doesn't matter anything that I do in my life. God is still there. His, 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 listen, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't get far enough to get away from God. You can't make enough bad decisions to get away from God. You can't do enough wrong that he turns his back on you. You can't run fast enough. Ask Jonah. God always gets his man. God is always there. He is always present with us. And so this is, this is tremendous for Joseph to know as he moves through this that God is still there with him. And all of the success that Joseph sees, all of the things that go right in his life, uh, every time he seems to climb that ladder, it's always God who is dictating that in his life. It's always God who is pulling those strings and making things work out when it seems like they shouldn't. And it's the same thing for us to recognize in our lives, that as things work together, as things don't seem like they should work the way that they do, God is the one who is working all that together. And so back in our text in, in uh, Genesis 39, it says, So jo Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, him being Potiphar. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So he left everything he had in Joseph's charge. This is, I mean, you, you look at this story, and you look at where, where Joseph started. You look at the pit that he was thrown into. And, and you almost have to question. I mean, if, if, if I were there in Joseph's shoes, I would start to ask the question, what, did I miss it? 
Was I wrong about these dreams? I, I, I could have sworn this was God talking to me. I mean, he, he gave me these dreams of people bowing down and, and the, these dreams of the tremendous things he would do with me. Did I miss it? Was that never actually God? And yet as God starts to work things together, Joseph sold into slavery, meets Potiphar, and the Lord is with Joseph. And it seems almost suddenly that Potiphar says, you know what? I like this guy. I, I like the way that he is. I like what he's about. And he promotes Joseph, who was a servant. He promotes him to oversee everything in his house. And God, guys, I promise you, there will be times in your life when, when you see these things and, and you say, God, I thought, I thought this is what you were doing. I thought this is what you told me. I thought this was your promise. And everything seems to be crashing down. You seem to be in the pit. And God says, I'm, I'm not done working yet. I've got to move some pieces first. There's, there's a process to this. And I, I can personally attest to being in these situations. And so uh, through this process, uh, this is good for Joseph. He's in this position of authority now. He's, he's in a position of overseer. These dreams are starting to make sense. But understand this. With every blessing comes a testing. Okay? With every blessing comes a attesting. And this is, this is made clear to us in the New Testament even, because Jesus, he, he tells his, his uh, disciples a story, and he explains to them uh, uh, that he, he gives them this, this example of, of being given something and how they respond to what they're given. And he tells them that if you want to be trusted with much, first you've got to be trusted with a little bit. And so God, that's the way God works. He'll, he'll bring in little bits at a time. He'll slowly work you into what is eventually the calling of your life. And so Joseph, he had these dreams, and, and he's in a position of authority yet, but he's also not there yet. He hasn't made it. He hasn't, he hasn't made it to the peak of what God has prepared for him, but he's in a position to now grow into that place. And so with every blessing comes a testing. And so as we move to the next portion of our verse in Genesis chapter 39, it's working so far, this is good. It says, now, and this is interesting because we finished in, in verse 6, but this also starts still in verse 6, and this seems so out of place. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? That's a problem. This is obviously a bad thing, right? And, and I think for men especially, most of us can, can in some regard relate to this because the enemy knows that we are wired in a certain way. There are certain things that, that certain people tick towards, certain things that make certain people, uh, that just make you go. And men are designed differently than women. And so, I mean, I look at this and I'm, man, I, I, I think he's not doing really anything different than he does now. He's working through those same avenues. He knows the things that he can use to take advantage of us. This is why pornography is, is, has, is running so rampant among men these days. It's, it's one of the biggest industries in our world, and it's especially, I mean, younger men are who are falling for this because there's, it's, it's easy prey. And I, I look at Joseph and how easy this would have been for him. How easy of a decision this could have been for him. But whether this specific situation looks 
familiar to you or not, whether this specific situation speaks to you or not, all of us deal with something, right? All of us have that thing that the enemy knows he can grab that and he can work us over like nothing else. And so back a little bit further in the book of Genesis, all the way back in chapter 4, actually, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, And if you're not familiar with with the story of Cain and Abel, these were the first two sons of the first two humans ever, Adam and Eve, right? And these were their sons, and, and it came to a point that both of them were bringing offerings to God. They were coming to him and they were bringing these sacrifices uh, to God. And if you don't know the story, Abel comes in and Abel is a shepherd. So he ends up, he, he kills a sheep and he brings this as a sacrifice to God and God's happy with him. God's like, man, good job, Abel. This is good. And Cain, on the other hand, Cain is a gardener, like his dad, actually. And he brings something from his garden for God. And, and the Bible doesn't specifically tell us why, but God is not pleased with what Cain has brought him. And, and I'm just, I'm guessing here, but if I had to guess contextually, it was something going on right here. It, it wasn't so much the sacrifice itself, but it was something going on in Cain's heart. There was something lurking there. And so when Cain brings his offering to God and God's not happy with it, God tells Cain, this is not okay. You can't bring a sacrifice like this to me. And so something happens to Cain. You see something, something dark inside of him really start to move in a way that we haven't seen up to this point in the scriptures. This is something new. This is a new sort of evil that we haven't seen yet. And so uh, if you know the story, then you know eventually Cain murders his brother Abel. That's the end result of this, is Cain kills his brother But shortly before this, God actually approaches Cain and he sits down and has a conversation with him. And it says in Genesis 4, 6 through 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And this verse gives us such a strange concept of sin, almost, almost this, uh, this kind of animal-like idea, right? This, almost this beast personification given to sin with this idea of it's crouching at the door and its desire is over you. And, and there's this idea that there's something primal inside of us. There's something dark inside of us that's, that's crouching, waiting like a predator for, for when it can take advantage of us, for when it can strike, for when it can, it can jump out and take advantage. And it has very much this, this picture of an animal rule, which is really interesting because starting in the book of Genesis, if you remember, God gave Adam and Eve a command to rule over the animals. And sin now is being personified as an animal and God is still saying, hey, hey, don't forget don't forget, rule over this, rule over this, don't let it take advantage of you. So a while back, I I had shared a story about my dogs, and uh, not a great story. Um, if, If you weren't here for that, my dogs have this problem with destroying literally everything. Uh, it's, it's the literal worst. And, um, so, 
I mean, when it started out, we, we had a Labrador and a Chihuahua, which was weird in and of itself, but, but they were great dogs. They are great dogs. They're, I mean, super easy to train. They, they do what we tell them to do. We can leave them out. I mean, no problems. And, uh, but my wife's dream dog was always a Husky, and we had a friend who had to get rid of her Husky, and I made the worst decision of my life. And I said, yes, <laughs> we'll take the Husky. And... Uh, so, so we take this husky, and I mean, listen, if there was ever an animal crouching at the door of my sanity, it is this dog. And I mean, I, I should tell you, I mean, we, we've crate trained all of our dogs, and so we're like, okay, he tears stuff up, no big, no big deal, we'll throw him in a crate. And we come home, and he's at the door. And the metal on the crate is bent, it's been broken, I mean, it's, it's, he's shredding it. It's, there's a broken tooth on the ground from the dog. Like, I mean, it's insane. And this, this became kind of normal, and we're like, I have no idea what to do with this dog. But I'm going to rule over it. I'm, I'm persistent, if nothing else. And I will have the best of this dog. So we moved into this plan where what I decided I was going to do instead, because there's, there's definitely some separation anxiety in there. And uh, the chihuahua is easy. He sleeps in a pile of, of dirty clothes in the closet. That's his thing, I guess. We just leave him in there. Like, that's his thing. But the other two dogs, the Labrador and the Husky, I was like, okay, I'm going to kennel them together and see how they do. And they were better. They were better, but they also weren't in their kennel when I got home. They had gotten out again, and there was stuffing all over the living room from the couch and the chair and everything else. And um, Okay, I've got another idea. So the, the chair's already been shredded at this point. And, and we decided, you know what, we're going to keep this chair, because if he gets out and he's going to tear something up, this... this Maybe we'll get lucky and it's the chair that's already been wrecked, right? And he doesn't go after new furniture. So I put them in their kennel together and I slid the chair in front of the door because he was literally bending the door off of its hinges to get out of there. And so far it's working pretty good. And, and I'm, I'm feeling good about it. We had Wednesday, he got out again, but we left him home for way too long. And uh, I will rule over this dog. Let me tell you guys, I will win this eventually. And, and this is, this is this, I mean, it's ridiculous, but this is the same concept that we're looking at here, is, is going out of our ways, finding the ways that the enemy finds these little nicks, finding the little, the little areas that he can find to move and take advantage of things in our lives, and blocking off those things, setting up parameters that the enemy is not welcome to work in these ways in my life. You're not welcome in these portions of my living room. You're not welcome to tear, tear up my couch while I'm gone, right? I'm, I will rule over this. And that's this concept that we're getting from this passage to rule over it. And so we go back to Genesis 39 with our story with Joseph. A little bit later, a couple slides. Go forward a couple more. We'll get it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it because it's... Next one. It's all right. And so <laughs> she said, lie with me. And then in verse 8, it says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Did you catch that? Did you catch who Joseph's sinning against? 
Now, now think about it in this regard. If, if there was an affair going on with somebody else and my wife, I would be really concerned about what you've done to me and what you've done to my wife. That's, that's where my mind's going. That's what my concern is. And, and I think most of us can relate in this. You know, if somebody were to approach one of us in the same regard, uh, a friend of ours were to approach us, you know, most of us would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how could we do that to your husband? Right? That's, that's, there, there are immediate consequences in the here and now with the people around us. But Joseph, in typical Joseph fashion, understands on a deeper level than just the platonic here where we are right in the here and now. And Joseph understands further than this. Joseph understands that he wouldn't just be sinning against Potiphar. He wouldn't just be sinning against Potiphar's wife. But he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And, and here's what it is here. What Joseph understands is that we are designed for God. We are designed by God. And so he's the one who's created us. He's the one who developed us. He's the one who made marriage. He's the one who set up parameters for marriage. He's the one that said that you are designed to work best this way. He's the one that gets to say in that. And if we're designed for him, then anything that we do wrong is against him because he's the designer. He's the one who created us. And so this is, uh, to, I'll put it this way. It's, it's as if, you know, I, I drove to the Apple store in Fresno, which, by the way, does not sell fruit. Uh, they sell electronics. Hopefully that's not confusing. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like if I went and I drove up to the Apple store in Fresno, and I walked in and I said, I want the best computer that you guys make. Um, and not because I'm obsessed with Apple products or anything, uh, but I know that the iMac Pros start, start at $5,000. And if I wanted to max it out and get everything, I'm, I'm looking a little over 14 grand for this computer, okay? And so it's like I walk in and I say, I want that one. I want the max out $14,000. I got cash with me. I'm going to lay it out right now. That's what I want. I want your best computer. And I mean, I can imagine the employee at this point kind of getting excited, you know, what, what kind of professional things does this guy do if, if he needs this professional of a computer from us? And, and, you know, it's as if he would ask me, what, what kind of business are you in? What are you doing to this? Oh, oh no, 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 no. You, sorry, you misunderstood. Uh, I just got some nails backing out of my house and I need something to hammer them back in with. That's all. That's all I need this for, right? I mean, can, can you imagine if the man who invented the iMac, who put all of the work into it, who spent hours developing this machine, were to see me hammering nails into my house with a $14,000 computer? Can you imagine the stress on, on everything and the anxiety you would have watching me. Do you understand how expensive you are? Do you understand what you're worth? 14,000 computers got nothing on you. That's nothing. The king of all kings, when he was asked, well, what are they really worth then? Everything. They're worth everything. So much so that I am willing to die for them. That my blood can purchase them. This is the one who designed us. Joseph says, how can I sin against God? Because he's the designer. He's the one who put this all together and said, this is best. This is how to live your life. Trust me, 
I know it doesn't always make sense, but trust me, I made you, and you're worth it. And so in our next verse, in Genesis 39, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, understand that this is not a quick one-time thing dealing with sin. Understand that your specific sin, when you finally muster up the ability to say, no, I will not have it, that's not the last time you're going to be asked. That's not the last time it's going to approach you. Day after day. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus told the story of a man who needs bread. And so he goes, and, and Jesus says that this man goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and knocks on the door and says, hey, I need bread. And he says, leave me alone, I'm with my family. And he knocks on the door and says, hey, I need bread. Listen, we're trying to sleep. Hey, I need bread. And Jesus says if he persists enough, eventually the man's going to give up and give him bread, right? And Jesus tells us this story to say that this is how I want you to pray to me. But understand that the enemy knows that this works. And the enemy works the same way in our lives. He's always there knocking on the door saying, hey, this is what you need. No, 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 leave me alone. Knocks on the door, hey, this is what you need. No, I told you. Knocks on the door, hey, this is, okay, fine. Is that not how a lot of us live our lives? Eventually, we have a tendency to give in because this is a day-after-day thing. And if it's a day-after-day thing, that's why, that's why Paul writes about the armor of God. Because I can't fight this fight on my own. Because sin is too much for me. I need somebody else behind me fighting. And so it says that she spoke to Joseph day after day and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So Joseph just stops listening. You know how I keep from listening to something? I listen to something else. Listen, if you and I are talking and I put headphones in, that means we're not talking anymore. I want to listen to something else, okay? I'm, th- this is why I don't get on Facebook all that often. This is why I, you know, I, I, I've got to find something else to listen to. I'm, I'm sick of the negativity. I'm sick of the politics. I'm sick of everyone attacking everyone else. I need to listen to something else. I, I need to choose better the things that I will consume in my life. And that's why I went to Twitter. That's a joke. Not, not really. That's not any better. But we have to change the things that we listen to. So he stops listening to her to lie beside her or to be with her. And then it says from here, it says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Now, now real quick, remember what we talked about in Genesis 4, that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is over you. And it gives kind of this, this beast kind of image to it. This beast that's lurking there, waiting and waiting and waiting to pounce. Now look at Pharaoh's wife, who, who was there saying, hey, come on. Hey, come on. Now what? Now how does this look? Th- this looks just like what God described to Cain in Genesis 4. But she caught him by his garment. She snatched him and said, no, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house. Isn't it crazy that, I mean, every time we look at sin, it seems to be this, the same, same image over and over and over again. It'll knock. It'll be subtle. It'll say, no, 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 you can trust me. Trust me. And you can say no. You can try and fight it. And you'll win a couple. 
But sin will pounce eventually. It will break forth eventually, and now you have a decision to make. Now you need to move quick. Now is when, if if you've heard the phrase fight or flight, you've got a decision to make. Fight or flight. And listen to me, church. I have fought sin. I have fought sin with everything that I have, and I have lost over and over and over again. And you know why I lost? Because I'm not good enough to fight sin. I don't have it within me. There's only one who can fight sin. There's one who has fought sin, and he does win. He wins every single time, and that's Jesus who we look to. So when, when you're presented with this, when, with this, do you leave your garment and run, or do you stay and fight? You leave your garment and get out of there. Why are you going to waste your energy on a fight that somebody else has already won? Jesus has this handled. You get out of there and you let him take the fight. He's already beat him. Let him handle this. You can use your energy on something else. You can sit at the sidelines and watch Jesus win this one every single time. And so he fled. He got out of the house. And he left what he was gifted. He made a decision that that it's not worth it. Sin is not worth it. And he got out. And there are consequences for everything that we choose to do. And, And Joseph, in this moment, he had a triumph over sin. It's your responsibility to say no to sin, but when the enemy persists, you let Jesus handle it. You let this church rally around you. And, and you let Jesus walk in and say, you know what, this is my fight now. I'm going to handle this. And Jesus only handles fights one way. He's, he, he's not in the business of losing fights. You know, I, I look around this room, and you know what I see? I see people. And people means brokenness. People means anxiety. People means depression. People means family problems. People means a separation of relationships. People means broken hearts. People means sin problems. I promise you, there's brokenness in this room. Are you, are you dealing with that spiritual battle right now? Or if, if you're not, I promise you it's coming. It'll get here. You'll have that spiritual battle that you will be faced with a decision to make, fight or flight. Are you going to try and win against the enemy, or are you going to say, you know what? I know somebody else who can handle this, and I'm not going to waste my energy on that because I know that Jesus has already beaten you. And listen, regardless if you're in it now or if you know that it's coming, this is how we've got to respond to this fight. Jesus has already won it. Let him fight it. And so we're going to close out this service this morning, and I'll, I'll be at the bottom of the stage down here. And, and while everybody else is leaving, if, if you just want to come and talk with me, if you want to pray with me, whether you're in the midst of it or not, come down here and talk with me. We'll, we'll work through this together. We'll work through this as community, and we'll learn to lean on Jesus for the victory in these fights.
God, thank you for today. Thank you for our time and your word. And we ask that, that you would just use your word to really uh, mold and change our hearts. That you would uh, show us the severity of sin, but also show us just how triumphant you are over it. Uh, that you have all of this in your control, that you have all of this handled. And, and we can trust you. We can lean on you and know that you have this handled. God, we know that this is difficult for us. We know that pride gets in the way of saying that I'm not good enough to do it. And that's hard. But we also know that we're broken. That there is one who is better, one who's already handled it. And I, and I pray that as, as your spirit moves in this room this morning, that you would break down that pride so that we could fall back on you. So that we could trust you. So that we could love you the way that you have loved us. Knowing that your love for us always says it's worth it that we are so invaluable to you, that we're worth everything to you. So we ask that, that you would move in us, that you would break down our pride and let us draw closer to you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for standing up for us. We thank you for fighting our battles for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.